0: So before we begin, I would just like to state for the record that today is November 9th, 2021, and my name is Ben Bauman, and I'm here in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I'm speaking via phone with David Jones, who is in Scottsdale, Arizona, and we are doing an interview for the Indiana Legislative Oral History Initiative. So just starting off, when and where were you born?
1: I was born at Methodist Hospital in Indianapolis, Indiana, February 25th, 1948.
0: And what were your parents' names?
1: Lewis F. Jones and Elsie Tony T. O. N. E. Y. Jones.
0: Okay. And uh, where was your family from before Indiana?
1: They actually have been in uh, the Joneses have been in Indiana for about five generations.
0: Wow. Okay, that's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, originally settled in uh, Switzerland County, Mm -hmm. in the town of VV, Indiana. Wow,
0: that's cool. Okay. And uh, what were your parents' occupations? My father was a. Uh, worked for, uh, for Atkins-Saw
1: Works, in Indianapolis in uh, metallurgy. Okay. And uh, Atkins was a, a big company. They had, you know, about five hundred fifty employees. And they took the whole block, several blocks on the uh, street. We're now the, uh, uh, part of the stadium complex. Is part of us.
0: Oh, okay. Sure. Interesting. All right.
1: Um, do you have any
0: siblings? I have five. Okay, five. Wow, all right. And uh, how would you describe your childhood overall?
1: <laughs> well, uh, you know, I think it was pretty normal, although... I grew up in an area called Mars Hill, which was a, a, a low socioeconomic uh, area. Okay. But my folks had a grocery store there, so it was kind of the focal part of the community.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Wow. And uh, who would you say were the most influential people in your childhood?
1: Well, uh, my... Uh, my parents were most sure. influential but well, my oldest brother was also very influential he was 22 years older than i okay
2: and wow yeah although we didn't live under the same house at the same time but he was a, a
1: real mentor and uh, a successful businessman and just a good person
0: yeah interesting okay wow um what understanding did you have about your family's political beliefs growing up well, my father was a uh,
1: Democrat precinct committeeman for a number of years. Okay. And, and the family on both sides were predominantly Democrats. Yeah. And uh, I think I was one of the first,
0: if not the first, to, to register as a Republican. Oh, okay. And how was your family's reaction to that?
1: Uh, overall, they were supportive. Uh, okay. I think at that time, uh, I had run for in the primary for justice of the peace when I was uh, twenty five, mm-hmm. and lost by uh, twenty two votes in the primary at twenty five precincts. So I lost by less than one vote per precinct. Yeah, against an incumbent. But uh, that was my first endeavor, and then the second, uh, I ran for city council, and frankly, and mostly in Marion County, the Republicans. Uh, I felt, afforded good leadership uh, and uh, promoted good government,
0: and uh, that's why I, uh, I, I wanted to uh, be a Republican. Sure, okay. Um, what schools did you attend growing up?
1: Stephen Decatur Elementary School and Decatur Central High School.
0: Okay. And how do you view your educational experiences looking back? They were good. It was it was a good experience.
1: Uh, I, uh, the elementary school I went to was only about two years old, so it was a new facility. Okay. Uh, and then uh, went to Decatur Junior High, which was in the old high school. The new one was under construction, but I ended up graduating from the new facility there on Highway sixty seven
0: in nineteen sixty six. Mm, Okay. Did you have any uh, favorite subjects in school?
1: Yeah, I liked science, uh, geography, and history.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, My
1: my strong suits.
0: Yeah. Were you involved in any extracurricular activities? Oh, I played basketball uh, on the uh, junior high on the uh, elementary school. Okay. Basketball team. And... uh, Other than that, uh, I don't recall anything else that uh, they didn't have too many clubs. Right. Yeah. Did you have any particular views about uh, the state of Indiana or about being someone from Indiana when you were a kid? No, you know, uh, if
3: if that's where you've grown up and all your relatives grew up there, yeah. you went to school there at your home, and uh,
2: you don't know uh, any difference. Sure, nothing
1: sure. To compare it with, uh, so you know, I, I didn't. Uh, I, I felt that Indiana had a good legacy, a good history to it, and uh, uh, I always was proud to say I was a Hoosier.
0: Yeah. Okay. Sure. Uh, did you attend college?
1: Attended Indiana State. And and, uh, but but that was for one year, and then I uh, I wanted to be. I left home when I was sixteen. Oh wow! And uh, I lived at uh, a mortuary most of my early days. I commuted back and forth to school. Wow! So I wanted to be be a mortician, and uh, I uh, then went to Indiana College Mortuary Science. Graduated from there and got my
0: general director's license and my embalmer's license. Wow, okay. Interesting. What got you interested in that?
1: Well, it was, uh, I think what actually impressed me was I was in uh, Methodist Hospital, had my conscience removed, Yeah. and my mother and sister were there, and my mother said, well, there's Roy Jones and Keith Matthews, somebody from Brownsburg. They owned the porch were in Brownsburg. Somebody from home must have passed away. And uh, so they came by and they were both uh, uh, immaculately dressed and very courteous. And they knew my mom and, yeah. and I was impressed with them. But then years went by. My sophomore year, I had a course in occupation and careers and you had to make a report on an occupation or a career, and they had a whole file. And uh, I went to mortician, and I pulled it out and read about it and gave my report on it. And it said in the report that sometimes local mortuaries would hire young people to work at the, at the mortuary. So when I got my license, I went to uh, our minister, uh, which uh, my mother's church there on the south side, and told them that I was thinking about being a mortician, and if they heard or knew of any openings, I would like. Well, they started making some phone calls, and it was a large church there on um, uh, right off Fletcher Avenue. Yeah. And so next thing I knew, I had an interview with uh, J.C. Wilson
0: Funeral Home, and I started to work there in November of 1964. Interesting. Okay. Wow.
1: Then, yeah then from there, I, I worked there from October of 64 till May of 65. Okay. And then I had a job offer at Conkel's Funeral Home on Lenthurst, which was on my side of town. And uh, they needed a student, uh, they actually two students. Most of the students that worked for funeral homes were college. Okay. But uh, I was uh, in high school at the time, and... They had an apartment there, and uh, I, geez, I think I was making around 50 bucks a week, which was big money. Yeah, sure. A high school kid in 1965. So I, I worked for them uh, until, 19, uh, artists, until the following uh, fall, and then I enrolled in uh, Indiana State and worked for a P.J. Ryan funeral home. 602 South 7th Street in Terre Haute and uh, came back and did my uh, uh, internship uh, at Tobin, uh, Heron, Singleton and worked
2: there for five years and then went to Flannery-Buchanan Funeral Home. Okay, Was manager of the Margaret Chapel which was on Man Road which was in my community the community I grew up in. Right. And uh,
1: then my Brothers and I, and sister-in-law, uh, bought a funeral home in Morrisville, a Harvey funeral home, and uh, it now operates under the Jones Family Mortuary.
0: Hmm. Okay, interesting. Wow. Um, and so when you started your career um, in the funeral home business, In what ways did your awareness of politics start to change, and you started to get interested in politics?
1: Well, at that point, uh, I had worked at the polls even when I was in high school.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: And uh, so I started getting an idea of how the party operated and what its mission was, its goals, its platform, and uh, then uh, a friend of mine uh, uh, announced he was running for trustee and he owned a local uh, drugstore, Norm Richard. Okay. And uh, he encouraged me to uh, to sign up to run for justice of the peace. I, I really can't say that I was qualified, but in those days, you didn't have to be a lawyer to be justice of the peace. I don't even know if you have to today. To be oh, outside. okay, yeah. Uh, but that was the primary race that I lost by twenty-two votes. Yeah. So that I, I, I got me interested, and then. Uh, as uh, uh, an old sage told me, he said, You know, for first time running against an incumbent and just losing by 22 votes, the party will come to you. And so they did, they approached me and said, Well, what would you like to run for? And I said, Well, I've always been in House of Representatives, but I think I'd like to, uh, to run for city council if there's an opening. And at the time, the seat was held by Keith Walters, who was his family owned Walters uh, drugstore, and uh, he was my fifth grade basketball coach and I taught in my elementary school man I, I really respected mm-hmm. but he, he won as a democrat and so the republicans wanted to take him out and they thought I would have a shot at it and so I did I ran and I won.
0: Wow okay interesting wow. Um, but-
1: it was a large freshman class. I think we ended up with uh, like seven freshmen. Wow! Uh, and of course, the council. I people out here just can't get over. Our, the council in those days was 25 members, mm-hmm. uh, twenty five members, or twenty twenty nine members,
0: twenty five districts, and then four at large. Yeah. And, uh,
1: that that's a big council.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So it's about 25 members and there are seven new members?
1: Yeah. Jeez, okay. <laughs> Dr. Phil Borst, uh, myself, Stu Rhodes, Stan Strader, uh, Wayne Rader, mm-hmm. Betty, gosh, I forget her name now. But anyway, there were they're,
0: yeah.
1: a lot of freshmen.
0: Wow. Um, let's see, thinking about uh, your family and stuff, um, when, if at all, did you get married? In 1971, okay, I, I married uh, Sue Ellen Kiewit, who, Okay who uh, graduated from Ben Davis, and uh,
1: although we were down at Indiana State uh, at the same time, uh, I just saw her one time, but then that summer, uh, I uh, uh, asked her out for a date, and then we got married. We're married 50 years, wow. and she passed away a year ago this month.
0: Oh, no, okay, wow. Yeah, Yeah. sorry to hear that. Um, Do you have any children?
1: We have two sons. Okay. David David Andrew Jones and Brett Anthony Jones.
0: Okay. Okay, interesting. All right. Um, And how influential would you say your family was when it came to your political career?
1: Well, because it was a large family and uh, we had... uh, we had pretty good recognition in the community because my folks had a grocery store there for 30-some-odd years. Sure. And uh, uh, then my brother, who also lived in the community, uh, had a trucking company. And uh, so we had uh, uh, pretty good name recognition, family re- name recognition, with uh, with a, a good re- reputation.
0: Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and let's see, when you started to get interested in uh, running for the Indiana General Assembly, uh, what exactly sort of shaped your political outlook?
1: Well, I think uh, getting there uh, was uh, <laughs> an interesting process. And I'll share with you, Ben. That yeah. What happened was uh, Doris Dorbecker who was one of the representatives, one of three representatives that represented our district, Marion County had multi-member districts. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so in our district, we had three members, one of which was Doris Dorbecker. And Doris had contracted cancer, and uh, Senator Morris Mills called me one day and said, Doris, Representative Dorbecker, would like to talk to you. And... uh, and then he told me that her health was not good, and she probably wasn't going to make it through the session. Wow, okay. And I, had, I had no idea what she wanted to talk about, but I, I always respected her. And yeah. I met it down in the chamber, and she said, David, I'm, I'm not going to make it through this year, and I think that you should consider uh, putting your uh, hat into the ring for my seat. And I said, well, you know, I'm really humbled that, that uh, you would ask me, but uh, the way that the district is set up, uh, I, I, I don't know that I've got all of the numbers exactly right. I'm going by memory. But right. Perry, Perry Township had 80 votes. Decatur had 25. Uh, Franklin Township had uh, like 12. Wayne Township had about 15. And it was uh, obvious that all three of the incumbent uh, legislators were all from Perry Township, because they had the votes mm-hmm. and in the primary, but uh, I shared that with her and she said, well, I think, David, that uh, I, I will endorse you, and I think that will, if you go out and work, that, uh, you, you might be surprised how much support you would get. So. Uh, We went to to slating. There were nine candidates at slating, including a fellow councilwoman, uh, excuse me, uh, Beulah Cohenauer. And it was only the two of us that the party had endorsed. Others had never been elected to public office. Okay, yeah. And I think that that was an advantage. But uh, a a newspaper reporter, I thought it was Pat Trump once told me that, uh, you know, I think David, you've probably held some kind of record, (laughs) because as he and I were talking, uh, because I had to go through the slating for the city council amongst Marion County uh, Republican organization, had to be slated, then I had to go through the primary, then I went through the general election, then uh, when uh, Doris passed away, they had a special slating and I went through to that slating and then went to the. I got the uh, the nod uh, to fill her, the remainder of her term, and then went through another slating to to get uh,
2: reelected and another primary another fall. So that all happened in a 24 month period. Yeah, wow.
1: <laughs> and uh, it's, it's just a bit of irony to it, but uh, it was. Uh, by the time I got finished, man, I wasn't certain why I was doing all that.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. That seems like a ton of stuff to go through.
1: Oh, yeah, I have to contact all the precinct committeemen, vice precinct committeemen, the ward chairman, the area chairman, and get their blessings, tell them why yeah. uh, you feel you're qualified for the job, why you want it. And so the time I got there, uh, I... Uh,
0: I was really questioning why why I did it, but I'm glad, I'm glad I did. Right, right, I understand. Um, And so when you got, when you started running for the General Assembly, were there like any key issues or legislation that you wanted to work on, or was it more of just getting elected and then figuring things out? It, it, it was really a process, you know. Uh, I
1: learned from being on the council that... Yeah. Uh, Uh, when you're a freshman, uh, you're not going to get dealt uh, major pieces of uh, legislation or city ordinances. Uh, And uh, I would say that my first, you know, they asked what committees you'd be interested in, well, obviously, Cities and Towns was a committee that I had direct experience with,
3: Mm -hmm. uh, but I could speak
1: as a former city county councilor and then transportation, public safety. Uh, I, I try to look at the committees that I thought impacted uh, my constituents directly. Now, I did find, Ben, a difference between, uh, I think Thomas Jefferson once said that the best government is that government closest to the public, yeah. and the city council is that. I mean, you get the phone calls from the chuckles and the trash pickup and drainage, and. Uh, the things said directly, when you go to the legislature, you're kind of removed from it. I mean, you're going to pass the laws that impact their lives, but it's a much broader horizon. Sure. And um, uh, I, I did enjoy that. I know that a lot of
2: people uh, have a, uh, a negative connotation applied to lobbyists. Right,
1: but but I found that lobbyists were very helpful. They they were knowledgeable about the areas and the clients they represented. Yeah, and, and contrary to some public, I found most most of them to be
2: truthful. Mm-hmm. No, now you had to be uh, a person to ask the right questions. Okay,
1: and one of the things that uh, that came out to me on the city council, a Indianapolis Star reporter by the name of. Uh, I think it was Ellis, Mike Ellis. He wrote uh, an article, a little column about, uh, oh, the most traveled counselor, the most conscientious. uh, And he listed me as the toughest counselor. Hmm. And uh, he said, uh, Counselor, I'm I'm paraphrasing now. He said, Counselor Jones asked uh, tough questions even when it appears he favors the subject. And uh, I guess I kind of took that to heart, that when when you go to the legislature, you're representing the people, and they can't be there. Mm-hmm. So it's your job to, and I try to use a little critical thinking of who wants the bill, why did
2: they want it, and what's the unintended consequences of that bill Sure that, that don't pop out at you, but you, you kind of have
1: to... You, you can't read every one of them, contrary to popular opinion. But you do read those that go before your committee. And you, uh, you, I would read the ones that uh, I thought had uh, some real impact uh, on people in the broader picture. Yeah, okay. Well, so kind of, I, I felt that my strength was really working in the committees.
0: Yeah, interesting. All right. And yeah, I guess so. That yeah, that that makes sense. Um, you know, when you're serving in the general assembly, I suppose that you have to be pretty aware of all the different things going on. And um, I'm sure, I imagine that constituents probably appreciate someone asking questions to lobbyists and everything else going on.
1: Um, since yeah, they they do, but you know, it, it really uh, it, it I don't know how to phrase this, but. Mm-hmm. They don't follow the legislature. I, I would say a high percentage of the people in, in your district couldn't name who their state representative was. Right, if. yeah. Uh, it might be a little different on the council because the council uh, district was small, uh, smaller, I think. Uh, my house district had 144,000 people in it. Sure. Uh, so, uh, they're not down there every day, and they, and they may not follow it. The, the other thing that I found of interest, just a, a, a sidebar note, was that legislators from like Evansville, or Marion, or Richmond, from the outlying area of Marion County, they really got more exposure, uh, more uh, media exposure in their communities. Mm-hmm. Well, when, when you're a representative in Marion County, there's so much news
0: going on every day that uh, it's uh, easily overlooked. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I suppose there's a lot more, yeah, a lot more in cities that are, is newsworthy, I suppose, for people and that people are interested in. Um, did you have any uh, sort of, Political mentors in the General Assembly when you served, or did you have any like political heroes in general that you kind of uh, identified your political philosophy with? Or,
1: well, uh, th- there were a number of people, very stellar uh, people. Uh, J. Roberts Daly was a speaker of the House, and he certainly was a polished gentleman and a good, uh, good politician. Now, he got taken out by the Indian State Teachers Association. Uh, they had a, 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 a friction for a number of years. And then uh, Jay Roberts Daly was not in favor of paranormal betting. And there were a number of Hoosiers, and the, the big populace at that point was in favor of it. And he, he stopped it two or three years, maybe four years in a row, but it finally got through the House. Okay. Yeah, Uh, and and, you know there are a number of others. Uh, T.C. Coleman uh, was chairman of transportation, and I was ranking member as a freshman. But I I learned a lot from him, and uh, there were others that uh, that uh, I uh, I kind of watched them as as to what they were, what positions they took, and why they took them. So uh, that, that has some bearing, and I think that's indicative of, of many legislators when they go in, uh, is that uh, if, if the person's the chairman of education and they've been chairman for 10 years, when the subject of education comes up, that's the person you go to and say, well, who really wants this bill? What's the unintended, unintended consequences of it? And they would be forthright, and then you might go to... At that point, uh, the chief lobbyist for uh, ESTA, the Indiana State Teachers Association, Bob Margraff, a hard-working lobbyist, and the very astute, along with Nancy Pappas. And if I had questions as it related to education, they would be the ones that I would go to. Okay. I, I served on Ways and Means under Pat Kiley. He was a stellar uh, representative and a good chairman of Ways and Means. And I, I learned a lot from him. Yeah, okay, sure, that's good. Am I telling you more than what you really cared about?
0: No, no, this is actually, this is what I want. I mean, the goal is for you to share as much information as you possibly can. So it's, okay. it's uh, don't yeah, don't worry at all. This is, you know, your oral history. So it's whatever that you want to share. Uh, <laughs> um, let's see. Thinking about... Your campaign again for the General Assembly. Um, I know that, that you weren't really guided necessarily by a, a particular political uh, sort of legislation that you wanted to, to get passed or something like that initially. Um, but did you have a sort of a campaign strategy at all that sort of that you utilized to help get yourself elected? Well, you know, the, the strategy was, uh, it, it, and frankly,
1: in, in those days, mm-hmm. if you were a re- Republican, particularly if you had Perry Township, Decatur Township, and portions of uh, Wayne Township and Franklin, and then just a little bit of South uh, Center Township, yeah. But I- if you got it through the uh, through the primary, you were going to get elected, okay? Uh, unless there was some aberration, right? The re- Republican organization uh, would pull through. So you kind of the strategy was to uh, to uh, read from the script of the party and mm-hmm. uh, address what the party's uh, platform was, and uh, you had a high percentage of, of getting
0: elected. I think in uh, every year that I ran, uh, I, I led the ticket amongst the uh, my other two members and they were both from Perry and I, I was kind of proud of that. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Uh, what did you think about the election process? Did it seem like a good process, or were there things that you wished were different about it?
1: Well, uh, Mary County uh, was unique. I, I thought that uh, that every county had Slady, mm-hmm. and, and that's really where the party Precinct commitment, vice precinct commitment, ward chairman, the political operatives made the choice. Right. And uh, I have benefited from that. And then uh, the last time I ran, I ran outside the party's endorsement. And uh, it, it was a strong organization. Now, as I look now, it appears that uh, when you, especially when you look at the council, there's more influence. Uh, the Republicans have lost. Uh, the mayor's seat, and uh, I, I think they've lost control of the council. And that may be a shift in demographics uh, of, of people, but,
3: uh,
1: mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, uh, we, I was fortunate to work with uh, uh, Dick Luger, Bill Hudnut, Steve Goldsmith, uh, three dynamic mayors yeah. who, who really pushed Indianapolis to the forefront of the uh, national scene. And uh, I, and that was one of the reasons why I wanted to be a Republican because I thought they had good, strong leaders and uh, and that they they did. yeah okay. uh, when I when I got to the House of Representatives, uh, I, I found that there was uh, I, I saw in almost the nine and a half years I was there a shifting. I was basically a
2: physical conservative, a social moderate, mm, okay. and uh, I didn't fit their bill as being conservative enough, and uh, and primarily it was over the abortion issue. Okay. And uh, the the party just felt that uh, they wanted someone that would walk that line, and I had a more moderate view of, of that. Yeah. And, and uh, they. Uh, well, in any case, uh, that
0: was the outcome and the the conclusion of my political career at that point. So do you feel like you were kind of like just pushed out a little
1: bit, or? Well, uh, yeah, I would say so. Okay. Uh, I think the other thing was that uh, uh, Paul Manweiler was, uh, wanted to be Speaker of the House, and he did. I was supporting Dan Stassen. Hmm. And... Uh, that had uh, there were a number of entities of in transportation uh, in Indiana who wanted me to be chairman of uh, of transportation, but uh, because I didn't support him, I didn't get uh, chairmanship. Okay. And, and uh, the, the person that he pointed there turned out to be a rather embarrassing uh, individual, but mm-hmm. nevertheless. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I was, I was on, on the outs.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, thinking about your very first election win for the General Assembly, um, how did you feel after you found out that you were elected?
1: Well, it was election night and, uh, I, I felt, uh, good about it. I, I, now, uh, I think it's important to note that I I did go through a general election, mm-hmm. those around. Uh, the first go round, the state statute, the state constitution, that when there's a vacancy in the uh, in the legislative body, the precinct committeeman, the vice precinct committeeman, the party gets to choose. Okay. So so that slating was in fact my first election to
2: the house. Right. Right. Uh, and then, uh, and I think I finished
1: up the last five or six months of Doris's uh, term, Doris representing Doris Stolbecker. Yeah. And, and then uh, I went to the general election, but our uh, primary and then general election. Yeah, you know, it's very gratifying because uh, you, you always think every politician believes that the day that you're elected that everybody loves you. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, that's not true <laughs> right yeah. but on the, on the day that you're defeated you think everybody hates you but uh, that's not true either sure. it's, uh, the wind uh, as the winds blow on, on that time period that dispensation of what people think and what the party particularly American County, I mean, what the party leaders tell them mm-hmm. yeah okay. So in answer to your question. The slating process—I uh, I see some advantages of it. I see the advantages that Republicans controlled who they wanted, uh, but but it, it also eliminates uh, people that might want to run if they don't get the party endorsement. Yeah. Back back then, it was like twenty-five votes per precinct against you before you even got started. Wow. Per yeah. So it's a big undertaking.
0: Yeah, sounds like it, and. And so, just to clarify, when you left, did you run again and lose the election, or did you just resign? Or you no, just I didn't, went, uh, or you just retired?
1: Well, I went back to uh, the slating process, uh-huh. and uh, they replaced me with uh, represent- uh, Bob Daney.
0: Oh, okay.
1: He was from uh, Wayne Township. Yeah. And uh, so then I uh, decided to run outside uh, the slate, and... Uh, Got defeated. I wanted Decatur Township, my own community, but
0: lost it in Hendricks County and in Morgan County. Okay. Yeah, so that's that's an interesting dynamic at play that I don't think I've heard a lot about. Um, but it is interesting to think about, you know, how much influence the party has when it comes to what candidates are running and how much support they get. Um, and so, did you feel like when you were when you were running and you weren't really the party's chosen choice and you decided to run outside of their endorsement did you feel like it was a pretty big uphill battle then
1: oh yeah uh now there was uphill battle but i'd also uh you know i've been an elected officer for 13 14 years yeah so i had, I had some name recognition but uh the party uh the party uh, was organized back most days and uh you know, they would pump up uh, their precinct commitment to vote for the slated candidate. Yeah, and uh, so they worked it. But uh, I forget now how many votes I lost by, but uh, I think it was like three or four hundred, maybe about three hundred. I think. Okay. And uh, yeah, it, it's an uphill battle. Yeah. But if, if you believe, uh, if you believe that you're right, and, and you can get up in the morning, and look yourself in the mirror and believe that you were a good representative of the people, then uh, you. I think you owe it to yourself and your constituents to get out there and tell your side of the story.
0: Sure. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, throughout your political career, did your campaigns or strategies change over time, or were they pretty much the same?
1: It, it pretty much remained the same, uh, except when I, I ran outside the party, then I really got full control over, uh, over the campaign. Yeah. When you're part of the organization and you're a three-member group, then you kind of have to coordinate with your other two representatives as to what kind of message you're going to say. You don't want to contradict a fellow representative and... So you kind of uh, lay out your platform and, and your talking points, and uh, you go along with them. And each one of us had a different uh, area of contra- contribution to our uh, 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 campaign effort mm-hmm. so indi- individually. But by the for the most part, it was kind of cookie cutter.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, I understand. Um, When you walked into the State House for your first day in office, how did you feel? Well, I've always been
1: uh, a lover of history. And uh, when you walk into the building and you realize all of the history behind it, uh, the people who have walked those halls, uh, the major legislation has passed out and
0: impacted the lives of Hoosiers throughout the state. Uh, it's a very humbling experience. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Um, what expectations did you have about the legislative process, and was it more or less complicated than you expected?
1: Well, it is, it is a complicated process, and over the years, while I was in the legislature, I would be invited to middle schools or to uh, some high school government classes, uh, and uh, would go through the process of how a, 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 a draft bill became law. And uh, I think by the time I got finished, there were a lot of glassy eyes. So, you know, it, they they don't realize the, the process, yeah. but uh, it uh, I, I think overall uh, the process was was pretty good. Uh, I uh, I think uh, been one of the most interesting uh, years. That uh, actually, I think it was a two year period. Uh, we had a tie for the first time in the Indiana House of Representatives. Yes, uh, yeah, fifty Democrats, fifty Republicans. And they, many of the the political beat reporters were, you know, this is going to be chaotic, and this is going to, you know, how is this going to work? And uh, it became they uh, each uh, party, uh, the Democrats and Republicans, uh, elected their own speaker of the House, and they would alternate every other day in the session. And uh, then, as far as chairman was concerned, that would alternate. Yes. And, and to be honest with you, Ben, I I thought to myself that you know this is really how democracy should work because neither single party had the upper hand. Yeah. So it wasn't a case if, if you had a piece of legislation and you're going to present it on the floor of the house for third reading, and uh, because you're a Republican, all the Republicans would vote for. It, but in most cases that mm-hmm. you get all the republican votes and uh in this case you needed to really work both sides of the aisle right yeah and uh, same with uh with in the committees uh it wasn't that you're going to ramrod legislation through you needed to really uh make your case and uh Uh, sell both sides you needed votes from both sides sure yeah and I I I found that that was rewarding and in the nine and a half years that I served I never lost a bill on the house floor
2: wow okay (laughs)
1: well I had I had friends on both sides of the aisle I treated them with respect and and I think to a certain degree everyone wants to believe that politics uh, prevails it's the the, the muscle behind it, but, it, and there's only probably 2% of the bills that we passed that had political ramifications to it. Yeah. One of, one of which is the, the drawing of the maps. For sure. That has a major influence on the outcome of, uh, the composition of the House of Representatives. And, uh, I just found that, you know, if you treat people decent and, uh, uh, treat them with the same respect that you want, and you can make your case on the floor. Uh, I, I was so uh, appalled when I came out to uh, Arizona. I was uh, hired as president and CEO of the Arizona Contractors Association and was their chief lobbyist along with my son, who was a. Uh, we both lobbied. And mm-hmm. a bill could come up before a committee, and the legislator hasn't even read it yet. He's signed on to it. Oh they of the bill, and the staff would read the bill to the committee, and then the staff would answer any questions about the bill yeah well that that wasn't the case in Indiana you had to know what your bill said
0: right yeah
1: and so I just thought that was appalling,
0: yeah, yeah, I can imagine especially as a as a former you know legislator yourself that's uh <laughs> yeah disturbing um, so you know thinking about this. 50-50 tie in the General Assembly, um, mm-hmm. you know, did you feel like the General Assembly was more productive during that time versus other times you had served where the it wasn't a, a tied?
1: Yes, I, I, I did because the arrogance of power can offend and agitate people. When there's a level playing field, I think you get a kinder, gentler, and more respectful atmosphere. So I I thought it was positive from that standpoint.
0: Yeah. Yeah, interesting. And so, yeah, a lot more people are forced to work together and and forced to find policies that will fit both parties, I guess. That's right. That's exactly right. Which,
1: uh, maybe I'm idealistic, but Mm -hmm. should work for the benefit
0: of all Hoosiers. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if it's 50-50, then you would think that the population is fairly split as well, uh, to a certain extent at least. So, um, but, uh, yeah, that's interesting. I'm sure that was a really fascinating time to serve, um, and considering how different things are today now, where it's not close at all to being uh, split down the middle.
1: Uh, Oh, that's right. And you can thank a lot of that to
0: gerrymandering. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, speaking of of which, yeah, I mean, how influential would you say gerrymandering was during your service in the General Assembly?
1: I thought it was very uh, influential. Uh, uh, Marion County, as I indicated, was the only uh, county that had a multi-member uh, structure. Okay. And, and the way it was cut for those districts, uh, those uh, members were all going to be Republicans. Mm-hmm. And they were
2: Yeah, uh, in, in other areas the same way. But uh, I, Arizona was similar,
1: Ben, when I came out here. Congr- congressional District number 1 went all the way up, taking in the Navajo uh, Nation, portion of the Navajo Nation, coming all the way south to taking in the portions of uh, all, took in all of Scottsdale, a portion of Phoenix. And if you think about it, what would those people and the Navajo Nation have in common social and economic to people who live in Scottsdale. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, 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 how do you rationalize that? The only way you rationalize it is that you're, you're draw, drawing a district that's going to win Republican vote.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Was, was there any effort when you serve to try and limit uh, the influence of gerrymandering at all or was it well it, there were and there was a there
1: was a case uh, that went i think all the way to supreme court about uh, uh multi-member districts in uh marion county okay
0: now i don't remember how that came out but eventually i think they did away with multi-member districts okay yeah I'm not
1: positive about that. I, I've been away for sure. Like, I understand twenty-five years. I haven't followed
0: it. Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, it's an interesting process, um, but uh, yeah, I guess that's one of the things that is always that continues to be uh, uh, an issue that people talk about a lot, and it hasn't changed much. So,
1: it it, it hasn't, and uh, both parties. Uh, endeavor to use it right uh, to their advantage, but uh, I'm convinced that you can get a computer today when you plug in the criteria, mm-hmm. in the population. Uh, I mean, some courts rule that uh, do the people have the same economic interest? Do they, do they read from the same uh, uh, publications yeah. or news media? Do they get the same exposure? And uh, I can tell you that the people up in uh, Navajo country don't get the same news exposure, uh, or, or, or yeah, news exposure, as do people from Scottsdale or Phoenix, right? And uh, you know, there's just uh, as the population changes, demographics change, in, in Marion County, and it appears that uh, many of the uh, Republicans and uh, moved out to the suburban areas, and those areas like Johnson County, and Morgan County, Hendricks County, uh, that, that, that those have become Republican Baskins, and uh, Merritt County, based on what I can observe, is uh, uh, there are more Democrats voting in that county now.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's interesting to see how those things change. Um, how did you keep up on what your constituents wanted and stuff when you served?
1: Well, <laughs> uh, one, uh, the party has organizational meetings. On Monday mornings, uh, I attended the Perry Township uh, organizational meeting. We met at the Holiday Inn, it was a breakfast. Then, after that meeting, John Sweezy, the Marion County chairman, would have a a luncheon meeting. So you'd go to that meeting and then uh, you uh, would go over to the state house and go to a caucus meeting and then go to session. Uh, I belong to every Republican club uh, in my district, uh, Franklin Township, Republican Club, Perry Township, Republican Club, Decatur Township, Wayne Township. And... uh, you, you're expected to attend those. And then I belong to the Lions Club, the Optimist Club, the Forty West Club, uh, business organizations and uh, 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 service clubs, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Masonic Lodge. And so by attending those meetings, you, you could get feedback. And that was, I think, uh, a big portion of you're not in a silo. You, you've got to be out. you got to press the flesh. You, get, you have to hear what people's
0: concerns are. And uh, it's very time consuming. Sure, yeah, that makes sense.
1: And then endeavor to maintain that job. Right, right.
0: Let's see, thinking about your legislation stuff that you worked on, the General Assembly, do you remember the first bill that you sponsored?
1: No, I
0: don't. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry.
1: I, I, th- I think it was a bill coming out of transportation. Okay. But I, I don't remember what it was. Yeah. I think, I think the most impact, impactful uh, legislation was that Senator Bill Sorts and I sponsored legislation to change the structure of the Indiana State Fair Board. Hmm. Okay. The Indiana State Fair Board had been a—it uh, was considered a political plum At, uh, Of all the boards that uh, were sought after, highly sought after, uh, the setting on the Indiana State Fair Board was uh, uh, the plum. Interesting. And you had to be in with your party, or you had to be in with the governor, and you uh, had to be stronger in a garlic mold. so much autonomy that uh, and both my boys were 4-H. I'd been out to the fair and I could see that the 4-H facilities, the dormitories, uh, they needed painting. There was just a lot of things. And uh, so I uh, sponsored this legislation to totally restructure the fair board. Okay. And the Indiana Farm Bureau... Which had strong influence over every governor. They had usually, it was their pick of the majority members of that
2: fair board. Yeah. And at that time and the years leading up, there were some major, uh, I won't say scandals, but discrepancies in the management. Mm-hmm. And, but the uh, Indiana
1: Farm Bureau did not want that power taken away from them. Okay. So they were lobbying heavily against uh, my bill. And uh, the governor then was Governor Evan Bay, and his uh, legislative liaison came to me and said, the governor is supporting of your bill, and he will support your bill, which meant that the governor would urge the Democrats in the House to vote for my bill.
2: Yeah, wow. And,
1: and those... Uh, uh, and I had Republican support, too, with the exception of those who lived in the rural areas where the Indiana Farm Bureau was strong. And it got so bad uh, that uh, I was telling the liaison, I said, you know, the Farm Bureau's just beating me up. they are lobbyists send there every day uh, urging uh, legislators to vote against that bill. Yeah. So the governor uh, called in, Uh, the president of the Farm Bureau along with their chief lobbyist and told them to back off that he (laughs) was airing that bill and they agreed to. Well, they got caught. They continued. The lobbyists continued to uh, uh, covertly lobby against the bill and got caught. And so the governor called them back in and told the lobbyists that he was not welcome back in his office and that uh, he would personally take a a front to any legislation that the Farm Bureau wanted. So they backed off and got the legislation through and uh, that had a major impact on all all Hoosiers in the operations of the the state fair. Wow! The members of the board had their own credit cards uh, they were staying at the hotels when they come down for meetings. Uh, the manager at that time was having his vehicle worked on by the mechanics there. Uh, I went took a tour, and I I mentioned that uh, the, there was the dormitory four H dormitories need to be painted, and they they had I'm
0: easily three hundred gallons of paint sitting down there that wasn't even being used and it was just not managed properly yeah sounds like there's uh quite a bit of sketchy things going on as well so yeah yikes
1: and so evan by was out here and uh we hosted a breakfast for him the association did and he brought that up that i'd sponsored that legislation that it was a major change the other historic note is that to my knowledge, and according to the Beat reporter, political reporters, uh, former governor Robert Orr came in and testified on behalf of the bill? Wow, yeah, geez. And he said he claimed that they had tried to make changes uh, uh, to the fair board since 1948, but he said outside influences would not allow that to happen. <laughs> oh my gosh. Representative Jones's bill is, uh, some words I'm paraphrasing now, but yeah, uh, is long, uh, long needed. And we got the bill out of the committee, and we got it out of house, and Bill Swords got it out of uh, the Senate, and uh, Evan Bice signed it.
0: Wow, okay. And uh, so how many, uh, so how long was the process of, of trying to get that bill finally passed? Was it like something that took a ton of time? Did it take years, or was it?
1: Uh, no, well, uh, that bill that I sponsored, yeah. we got out when we got it out in one session. Okay, but the speaker of the house was holding it, allowing the farm bureau to have as much time as they could get to count their votes.
0: Wow! And and finally, uh, they uh, they realized they didn't have votes to stop it, and he handed it down, and I presented it on the floor, and it passed. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's pretty wild, okay.
1: <laughs> but one one of, if I may, then this, yeah. this outside of, uh, after my uh, uh, legislative days, I lobbied for a while. Mm-hmm. And I was approached by a group called Friends of Hoosier Hysteria, uh, led by Bobby Plump. And uh, as you may recall, uh, th- there was a move uh, to... Uh, to do away with single class basketball tournament in Indiana, interesting, and, and go to a class tournament, okay. And, and so, uh, I was
2: hired by, by them to lobby, and that was one of the most interesting because it took on national attention, yeah. And there were people, you know, making
1: comments, uh, former basketball players, Oscar Robinson. I don't know if Larry Bird did, mm-hmm. but uh. Larry Buell was carrying the legislation, and uh, it it really got to be uh, my son Brett and I uh, lobbied on behalf of them, and uh, everything that I understand that we made our points on uh, uh, what reasons not to change, including interest by the public, yeah, uh, uh, and lost revenues, etc. That's all come to fruition uh, based on
0: the people that I know that are close to the, to the scene. But yeah. lost. Okay. And so that, that's interesting to me, um, because, you know, since you've, you've done a lot of lobbying yourself, and as well as worked with lobbyists when you serve in the General Assembly, um, from your experience, what is the pro, what is the appropriate role for a lobbyist to serve? Obviously, since, as you mentioned earlier, it is kind of a controversial topic to a certain extent because the, the public doesn't always have a great uh, view of lobbyists. But what's the, what's the ideal role for a lobbyist that, in government?
1: Well, it, that's a good question, and that's come up uh, in the past, uh, previous interviews, and, and people ask an opinion, well, you know, what, do, what should lobbyists do? hmm there are different types of lobbyists. Yeah, you have, for example, uh, when I was a lobbyist for the Arizona Contractors Association, I'm representing the interest of an industry.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: then you have what I call the hired guns. They're lobbyists that will have several different clients, and uh, they're they're usually articulate, uh, intelligent individuals who. Uh, bring a bill to you or c- approach you about we're not in favor of this bill because it does this, this or that. Yeah. And uh, the, the industry lobbyists and, and that might be, for example, uh, not only industry but uh, like the Indiana State Teachers Association, their mm-hmm. interests are specific to education yeah And uh, they they're knowledgeable and usually have a historic perspective on why we have certain legislation and why we don't mm-hmm. uh, so the role is to be uh, a liaison between their interest groups and the legislators and to keep the legislators uh informed about uh, legislation as to its the positive aspects of it and the negative aspects of it and uh as I indicated earlier, in some cases with some lobbyists, you have to ask the right questions. Yeah. In other cases, they'll come out and just tell you, a good lobbyist say, here are the positives, here's what you're going to hear about the negatives. Mm-hmm. of it." And then they try to get offsetting arguments to it. But a lobbyist, uh, I think they get a bad rap. Okay. Most, most of them I've found were professionals uh, about what they did, who they represented, whether it was firefighters uh, or whether it was teachers or, or the petroleum industry, the coal industry, uh, the uh, agricultural community. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that one of the things, been that makes the legislature good is that you get the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker.
3: Right. You have from all walks of life. And I know at one time that uh, uh, lawyers uh, had a great deal of influence or representation in, uh, in the
1: legislature. But I, I like to see the variety, and it was incumbent upon us that if we knew, uh, if we had insight as to a piece of legislation that particularly... Impacted uh, uh, an area that you're familiar with. If you were a teacher, you you should get up and speak to the bill from your from your personal experience. If you were a doctor and there was a particular bill, it was incumbent upon you to get up and say, "I looked at the bill. I think it's good, or I think it's bad." But. say, well, that's a vested interest. No, it's not a vested interest. It it, it is an experienced opinion and evaluation. So I I like that aspect of it, to have Mm -hmm. people from different walks of life.
0: Sure, yeah, okay.
1: And and you learn more as a legislator.
0: Right, yeah, of course, all those experiences and interactions, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: When it comes to interactions with other members of the General Assembly, uh, what was that like?
1: <laughs> well, for me, it was a unique experience. Uh, uh, just uh, that uh, there are cliques in any organization, yeah. and there are in, internal politics within uh, any organization, every organization. Yeah, and the House of, House of Representatives no different. Uh, there, the the those individuals who want a chairmanship cater to the desires of the Speaker of the House because he's the person that's going to appoint them to committees. Sure. So if you want on certain committees, then you have to cater to the will of, of that uh, Speaker. So it's a powerful position. Uh, then, uh, secondly, uh, the internal... Uh, presence of the Marion County delegation, which was the largest delegation, uh, from uh, because it's the largest by uh, population, largest county. And the internal, uh, or let's say, the desires for upward mobility in the political ladder uh, creates uh, internal, uh, uh, let's say, uh, animosity uh, uh, amongst uh, your fellow. Legislators, yeah. And so certain certain cliques are formed, and that's uh, that's just
0: the way it is. Politics, you know. You got the external political perspective, and then you've got the internal, and the internal can be pretty bloody. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if I'm following the lines of other legislators from my perspective, but. Since it's my view, I'm giving
0: it to you. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah, I get a, a wide range of perspectives on, on all topics. So, I mean, at this point, yeah, I've, I've interviewed, you know, about 50 people. So, it's a, it's a, quite a quite a variety of viewpoints. So, it's, yeah, I don't think anything is, is strange at this point. Um, okay. All right. So, yeah, no no worries at all. I think your perspective is probably, I think I've even heard your perspective shared on several occasions. So, um in terms of uh, the differences between the House and Senate, I've heard a lot of people talk about um, sort of their impressions of both. What about your impressions?
1: Well, uh, you know, you just look at the numbers in the House. You will have one hundred personalities to deal with, and then in in the on the Senate side, uh, you have forty nine, yeah. fifty, including you. So, uh, one, you 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 need to be articulate and you need to be able to sell. And I, I'm speaking in terms of, in terms of, uh, uh, uh getting your legislation passed. Yeah. And, uh, the, the other thing that was interesting and in the process, when you go back to the process and we went through this one year and, uh, I was, uh, uh, turned out to be a, uh, a key factor, but the—and the, it might have been the year we were tied, uh, 50-50, but no, two different budgets. yeah, had a Republican budget and Democrat budget. But in any case, uh, even when I said on Ways and Means, we would work and work and work uh, getting a budget put together, and then they had input from the governor's office, and you'd get a budget put together. And uh, you had to give and take uh, with a lot of legislators to get them to vote for the budget. Yeah. And they they hold out. Uh, Joyce Brinkman was notorious for holding out, and there were a couple others. But then it went over the Senate. It really didn't matter too much what we put in. Because when it went over the Senate, the Senate usually got their version. They would uh, redline ours and go through it, what they wanted, how they wanted to change it. Then it would come back and have to go to the conference committee. And uh, the Senate, uh, basically, in my opinion, had the, the final say on it. Okay. and, the budget, uh, and To me, it just seemed like, oh, what a waste of time. We might as well just come up with some kind of a budget, pass it over there. And then those days, they had some very talented people, uh, Dr. Boris, Larry Boris, was chairman of the Senate Finance and then Morris Mills uh, had strong influence on it. And uh, they were brilliant people and very good at it. But in, 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 as far as saying, well, uh, we passed out the House version of the budget, hurrah, hurrah, uh, that that was just a piece of paper going over there. And then it was going to change. The Senate was going to do what they wanted to do and what the what the governor wanted. And then it come back to the conference committee and, Actually, nine out of ten times we we bent with them and uh, we folded, and they got what they wanted. So, okay. uh, yeah. I, I didn't. I, I appreciate the fact that Pat Kiley wanted me on Ways and Means. I enjoyed the experience, but uh, it just seemed like uh, uh, you know, it was, I mean, and we went hours and hours. We met uh, like three or four times a week. And, uh, wow. it, and and because Morris Mills and Larry Boris, their Senate districts overlapped my House district, when I would go to those Republican clubs or the organizational breakfast at Perry Township, uh, we would have a, a, a perspective of one way on the budget. And Morris would say, well, we don't like the House's version of it, we're going to do it this way. And, it was kind of like, well, you know, well, we're just wasting time here. Just let them draw up the budget and then spend.
2: Correct. That's
1: what's going to end up like, But we spent months, weeks working on
0: it. Wow. Yeah. Um. Now, in terms of how the House and Senate behaved, I've heard a lot of former legislators say that the the Senate. Kind of felt more highly of themselves in the House. Uh, Did you get that vibe as well, or?
1: Well, you know, it's referred to as the House of Lords. Yeah. (laughs) In in, in Parliament, and uh, they they do carry a lot of power. And uh, uh, I I but you know I think you just have to accept that uh, that's the way it's structured. Uh, Whether individual personalities. Uh, became arrogant. Mm-hmm. You know, power corrupts. Yeah. Uh, I hate to say corrupt, but it influences people's uh, image of themselves. And uh, yeah, uh, but I've seen House representatives who went from the House to the Senate, and uh, their personalities changed. You know, sure. There's the old adage: it's just nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> um. Let's see. How was legislative business cut, uh, conducted outside of formal votes and committee meetings?
1: Well, that's a good question. Uh, I, uh, I found uh, I would frequent the press club and actually had a table over there uh, that set about twelve or fifteen. And some of the lobbyists would come over and have lunch. Sometimes they'd come over and have cocktails. The legislators uh, in my peer group uh, would come over and we could sit there and discuss the legislation and and get educated to it and have informal debates. Now, that's not much different than when the Continental Congress was formed and they went into the inn, over to the inn across from Carpenter's Hall. And they would sit there and have their ale and discuss the bills. Right, yeah. And so uh, you, you you get the opportunity to really chew on the rag, uh, particularly on controversial legislation. Uh, the run-of-the-mill legislation, you didn't get too much out of it, except uh, if there was a stinker in there. And, uh, we had one that uh, it was a, the year that uh, legislation passed for uh child protective seats in automobiles yeah and, and uh, you know that's the mother of an apple pie who, who doesn't want uh, to protect your kids until it was brought out to me that you had to read the language that there was proprietary language in there that just made one company out of California that their seat would be acceptable. Okay so uh that and that went through either public safety or transportation. I was on the committee, and we got that changed now I possibly would have not known that uh if it had not been brought out to me, yeah, so operating outside yes uh you're going to have uh and, and you know a lobbyist might uh take you to uh To dinner, or they might take you uh, to a ball game, and people say, "Well, we don't think that's right." That that is no different than the business world. Mm -hmm. If you have a client that you want to get business from, you you entertain them. Now, if it's extravagant, that's different, but there there are limits. You have to report all that. Yeah. But uh, primarily, what the lobbyists are looking for is access. Okay. if they can get access to you that if they call you at home that you're not offended if, if they say hey can we've gotten that much I, I want to talk about the
2: you know that they they have an agenda right
1: you just have to listen as to whether or not it is a good or is it bad yeah
3: and, and yeah. if it's bad you
1: just say I, I can't go with you on this
0: yeah that's interesting uh, um and I suppose, yeah, there, at times there can be kind of a, a line that is kind of murky as well that's difficult for people to make decisions on um, because you're dealing with lobbyists all the time, and uh, you'll probably also get to know them after a while, too. Um, so, yeah. yeah no, they actually make
1: them become friends. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um when it came to voting on legislation, did you always have a pretty good idea of how people would vote uh, before they actually voted? Uh,
1: pretty much so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, individuals who had uh, a personal vent on on raising taxes, let's say, yeah, you know, they they wouldn't vote for it regardless. Uh, because they don't want to go back to other constituents that they voted to raise a tax. Right. Uh, you, you knew how they were going to vote. Yeah. Uh, and, and then other areas, uh, the legislators, usually make their personal preferences known. And uh, so you get a pretty good idea on how they were going, going to vote, uh, even before the vote was taken.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, How influential would you say party leadership was um, when it came to passing legislation?
1: Well, uh, I will say that uh, John Sweezy uh, did not really lean on the Marion County delegation specifically, at least at at our luncheon meeting. Now, one, he did. And that was when Bob Orr uh, was governor and John Mutz was going to run. He was lieutenant governor wanting to run. And Bob Orr or John Mutz or both of them had concluded that the reason uh, Governor Orr ran like 200,000 votes behind Ronald Reagan in the general election was over the, uh, the uh, license branches and the license branch structure was when there was a piece of legislation put in, I'm sure the Republicans did it, that the party of the governor, that their uh, county chairman would get the, the management and operations of the license branch okay. branches in that county. And it was very lucrative. And so Bob Orr and Mutz concluded that that's why Bob Orr fell so far behind Ronald Reagan. Now, I don't know if it was or it wasn't, but they went to Mills, uh, Senator Mills and Senator Boris to put in legislation to take that away from county control,
0: which would be a risk. If I knew that, they would have blackballed me in a New York minute. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I do remember John endeavoring or urging them not to put that bill in. And they did anyway. Okay.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Interesting. All right. And much didn't get elected.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, how would you see your legislative service affected your family life?
1: Oh, I, you know, I've talked to my sons about it then. Uh, it took a lot of time uh, away from work. It took a lot of time away from family. Uh, the average person, I would think, w- would find it very demanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was fortunate. Uh, I was vice president corporate affairs for two large construction companies, and they gave me the time to do that. But uh, we also had started up the family business. So between my uh, eight to five job, my legislative responsibilities, and uh, my f- family business, uh, it was very time consuming, but I, I talked to my boys about it uh, after they got older, and they both said that you know, really, Dad, uh, you know, we were doing our things with 4H and football and baseball and basketball, and you know, my wife carried the load, uh, seeing that they got to the practices, and yeah, but but they both said, you know, because you were there, we got to do things a lot of the kids didn't get to do.
2: Yeah. And, uh, so they were appreciative of it, but they, uh, they uh, didn't
0: seem, but I, you know, in some cases that may not be the case. Uh, it It is very demanding. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about it. just, yeah, there's a lot of uh, sacrifices that can be made when you're serving, especially if you don't live close to Indianapolis. Um, so, um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, it, it is, and... and
1: even in that comparison, uh, uh, you know, my good friend Vanita Becker, she was a seatmate for a long time. Well, she was from Evansville. Yeah. Well, on Saturday morning, she would go to
3: her meetings of constituents and she could hit it in one meeting. Mm-hmm.
1: I had Perry Township meeting, uh, Franklin Township meeting, Decatur Township meeting, Washington, Wayne Township meeting. And then plus the Marion County luncheon meeting, uh, you know, uh, there are a lot of demands on the Marion County, and I also can appreciate there's a lot of demands for her, like going to Evansville or those that have to go up to South Bend. If you've got to drive that uh, at the end of a long week, uh, it wears you down. Now, some of them would catch a plane and fly if they had to be back, but it's grueling on them. to travel and then spend a whole week away from home. We did, if you lived in Marion County, we did have the
0: opportunity to at least sleep in your own bed at night. Yeah, yeah. Um, what would you say was the most controversial legislative issue during your time in the General Assembly?
1: Well, I, I, there was a legislator from uh, Anderson, uh, Indiana. I can't think of. His name right now, but he was a deputy sheriff and he put in a bill that would uh, require the state by law to cast away someone convicted of either pedophilia or rape. Wow, okay. And uh, his name just about came to mind. I can't think of it right now, but he got on Jerry Springer's show. It was on a lot of the national. Uh, media picked up on it, and uh, I'm surprised and really embarrassed that the, uh, the speaker handed it down. Yeah. But, I mean, it got killed, but as far as controversial, yeah, that certainly was, uh, I mean, this guy was so wired up, uh, he carried his gun into the chamber under his coat, but uh, he was just, he
0: was really pissed when it got defeated on the floor. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I can see where that would be controversial. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) All right. Um, What legislation would you say that you had to work the most on in terms of the amount of time you spent on it?
1: Well, I think that the legislation of uh, changing the composition of the Indiana State Fair Board, by far, I, I had to work on that.
0: Yeah. What would you say was the biggest hurdle you had to overcome during your time in office?
1: Well, I, I think, oh, uh, uh, just the internal click within uh, the uh, the Marin County delegation. I, I I had, as I indicated earlier, I never lost a bill in
3: the House for nine and a half years. Yeah, But uh, the, the Marin County, they worked elements of the Marion County organization that
0: uh, uh, they wanted me to march to their beat and uh, I was a little more independent than that. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, I would describe myself as a physical conservative, but a social moderate. Yeah. They wanted conservatives conservative all the way through. Okay. And I saw, as the years went on, they were bringing in more uh, uh, entrenched conservatives, uh, and you know, I get it. That's the party, and they they want to believe that that's the uh, the will of the people. But uh, I can say that there were a lot of conservative people who were being misled.
0: Yeah. So over time, did you witness uh, increasing political polarization because of this, or?
1: yeah I, I think that uh, uh, the the issues that have followed the national uh, paradigm yeah uh, uh, support are uh, the anti-abortion uh support gun legislation the uh, guns rights legislation and uh you know beat the teachers down uh, and uh, you know that that kind of uh, that's kind of people they were looking for yeah uh, and they weren't looking for individuals that could see both sides of the story mm-hmm. they They wanted you know lockstep this is our mantra and this is what if you can't do that then we'll get somebody else
0: okay wow so it's kind of like a loyalty test I guess then almost oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> wow
3: yeah
0: yeah It's unfortunate um so I guess thinking about some big-picture questions now, uh, how would you summarize your time as a legislator overall?
1: I think it was a rewarding time. Uh, very few people been get the opportunity to serve in a legislative uh, arena.
2: Yeah, And
1: it is an experience that uh, you can't duplicate in the private sector or in the corporate world. Uh, it, it uh, I think, to be a good one, that you, you have to have that broad spectrum of, of understanding two sides to every story, and uh, it, you know, I think the first thing you have to look at is how will it impact the residents, my constituents, in my district,
3: mm-hmm. and, and uh,
1: then I, I think every legislator obviously is sensitive to the impact that it may have. On their uh, on their constituents, but you have to or you should be able to to not polarize yourself with if, if a person's a Democrat, they're a Democrat, and I, I found that there were more Republican individuals coming in that just saw Democrats as enemy. Yeah, and that that that's sad. Right. Know, they had their they have their perspective; their constituents elected them. That, their fellow Americans, their fellow losers, mm-hmm. they they have a right to their opinion and their perspective, but it just got to the point where it was,
0: I mean, if you were even seen talking to a Democrat, uh, the rumors would start. Oh my gosh. Jeez. Oh yeah. That's, that's pretty I mean, it, toxic.
1: It, it was that bad.
0: Wow. Okay. Yikes. Yeah, that is that is pretty unhealthy, I think, for a political body. Uh, wow. Um, do you have any, uh, favorite stories or anecdotes from your time as a legislator?
1: Oh, uh, we had the, the, uh, the Speaker of the House assigns the seat, your office, uh, locations.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, he put myself and Dan Steffen and a couple of Democrats and, uh, oh, Jim, uh, gosh, from Frankfurt, I can't think of his name now. Anyway, he put us in there, and uh, it was just a room up on, on the floor of where the offices were. But I, I don't know what it was, but it, it was probably 20 by 15, and I forget how I think about six of us in there. And so we put a door on it, okay. and uh, we we had the maintenance people come up, put a door on it. And then we put a metal plaque on it that said "Behind Closed Doors," because there was a a, a, a political column that appeared in the Star every day called "Behind," or maybe on Sundays, "Behind Closed Doors." Oh, okay. And they, they told behind-the-scenes stories of what was going on with the legislature, and, and uh, so they took a front to it. <laughs> they being uh, either the, the speaker or some of his some of that click. Yeah. We came in one morning the door was missing. Wow. And uh no one knew where it was. We went to maintenance, nobody knew anything about it. And and uh so we had all these buttons printed up but uh where's the door? And uh uh l several of the, wore on, the speaker of the house, Mike Phillips wore it one day and uh it got to be uh Just a sidebar issue, but it was uh, it it went on for like two or three weeks. (laughs) Never never did find the door. Wow. Nor did did anyone ever claim uh, that they took it down. We were pretty well convinced that it was the maintenance. We think it was someone outside of maintenance that came in and and uh, maybe on a weekend or something and uh, took
0: the door down. And what they did with it, we don't know. That's interesting. Okay. Wow.
1: Yeah. But uh, there there were a lot of uh, uh, things that went on uh, when we got ready to draw the maps. uh, And uh, the the Democrats had had several meetings looking at the maps. And we were getting up close to the session, and uh, Manweiler... Who was then speaker? He hadn't even called us in to look at the maps. Well, he had called all of us in.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I found out later on some of them in the clique they got to look at their maps and and uh, um, well, I'm sorry, he wasn't the speaker then, but he was our caucus chairman. Okay. Yeah. And so uh, Mike Phillips called me, or he actually sent word through a lobbyist, said he wanted to see me. And when they said Dave, he said. Have they talked to you guys about your maps yet? I said, no. And he said, well, they have talked to me. And he said, they're going to cut out three legislators in multi-member districts in the southwest area of Marion County. And he said, you're going to be one of them. And he said, probably George Schmidt and maybe Larry Buell. But he said, you know, uh, what kind of map would you want? So I got to draw my map. Mm. I got draw A-man. Yeah. And that included the Decatur Township, portion of Wayne Township, portion of Hendricks uh, County, and portion of Morgan County, which were all, to me, they were contiguous to each other. They they all had the common element of the Indianapolis International Airport, which has impacted uh, their daily lives. And uh, then my colleagues didn't like it. Because they wanted to cut me and I think George and I think Larry Buell was the other one they were going to cut out. And so it was, for me, a survival thing. Yeah, yeah. But that did not sit well with uh, the leadership.
0: Okay. Um, What lessons, if any, did you learn from your time in the General
1: Assembly? Well, I think that... uh, I learned a lot of lessons. And uh, people, uh, as a whole, you had a pretty good
0: class of people. But the politically ambitious would would stab their own mother in the back if they thought it gave them upward mobility and Yikes.
2: political
1: rights. Wow. They're, they're lethal.
0: Yeah. So. Oh there is I guess there is definitely some power hungry people there and
1: um well, uh, yeah. Faye Mallory once told me that politics she was our area chairman and she service served as county clerk and county recorder and uh she was deputy or, uh vice county chair in Mary County, a very astute uh political person and she said, David, politics is nothing more than power. Yeah. And I think I was naive when I got into, uh, even uh, to the council and to uh, the House, that you could go in and make changes and that people would leave their politics and their political persuasions in the parking lot. And that's not necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. And even if you have people, if you have people, been who are in the House and they want to aspire to be in the Senate, Yeah. Well, they
2: want to eliminate competition around them. Yeah, And uh, they want to aspire. And and,
1: uh, uh, I saw quite a bit of that. Or it might be someone in the House that wants to run for Secretary of State. And you see them do a lot of odd things just because they they want upper mobility.
0: Wow. Is there a way to prevent that sort of Obsession of trying to get more and more power at all. Or to, uh, to
1: no, I don't. I don't know that ben, that you can ever change that. I, one time, I thought uh, limited terms mm-hmm. uh, would be the answer, but the problem you get with that is that it, it, there is a value to historic knowledge, mm-hmm. and if if you put a limit on legislators that they can only run ten years uh then you're losing that and the individuals who have the historic knowledge
2: mm-hmm.
1: becomes becomes staff right and uh, they have historic knowledge yeah and uh so it's it's a double-edged sword
0: yeah okay uh did you have any regrets as a legislator
1: uh i don't think so uh you know, I, 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 I guess I could say, well, if I if I acquiesced with, mm-hmm. with the party's leadership and acquiesced with but being a part of the clique, yeah. then uh, my political career could have gone on and on. But yeah. as I said, there's a point where you have to look yourself in the mirror and say you're your own person, and uh, you, you've got to... Uh, if you feel you've done a good job and you've represented your constituents, then that's the case you have to have to make. Whether uh, I didn't uh, make my case strong enough, uh, I don't know that uh, it doesn't make a difference. Uh, I didn't win. Yeah. And uh, so you go on with your life. Right. But what a valuable experience it was.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, definitely. Let's see, did you have a proudest moment as a legislator?
1: Uh, yeah, I think passing uh, the uh, composition of the Indiana State Fair Board was yeah. an accomplishment that I was proud of. Since uh, that change, they've been working on that change since the year I was born in 1948, according to Governor Moore. Yeah, uh, I also passed a bill that uh, uh, for. Department of Transportation. Uh, I would give them a break, and it, it was one that—excuse <coughs> me—it was one that doubled the fines for speeding in a construction zone. Okay. And uh, it uh, uh, because I was in construction, uh, I, I was appalled that there was something like five thousand construction work-related accidents annually in Indiana. Thanks. Jeez. And, and uh, I forget what the mortality rate was. Uh, but in any case, uh, I, I was proud to get that through. Yeah. Another interesting one that did not carry uh, a, a broad consequences to it, but I took, uh, I was approached by the uh, Department of Natural Resources and uh, they approached me and said, Reverend St. Jones, we have a problem with coyotes in Indiana. And uh, I said, yeah, you know, when I'm out riding my horses, I, I see them and uh, I hear people uh, because I live in Decatur Township, was a uh, suburban rural area. Okay. Uh, a lot of people li- lived on an acre of property. Uh, they, they had maybe three acres, and they might have sheep or horses or whatever. But uh, I said, Dan, you know, I hear that. They said, well, based on our calculations, there's uh, one coyote for every square mile in Indiana. Wow. And I said, wow, that seems like a lot. Yeah. But they're, you know, they're a very coy animal. They're, they're, they keep hidden pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> In any case, uh, I said, well, so what's the problem? They said, well, the
2: coyote is on the protected species list, so they can't be hunted. Mm, okay. They can't be trapped. And the, uh, the bill we're asking
1: you to carry would to remove them from the protected species. Then we'll set up a, a regulations for how they can be hunted or how they can be trapped. And uh, the interesting thing, Ben, when I... I got it out of natural resources, and that was not a problem because the the, the staffers from natural resources came over and they said, told my fellow seatmates uh, uh, the same
2: thing. I didn't think I'd have much trouble with that. Yeah. But when I brought it up,
1: uh, there are a lot of people. Or there were several, not a lot. Mm-hmm. A few people got up and said, "Oh, you know, we're not we're not really uh, we don't like this bill because." People would be going out shooting neighbors' dogs and claiming they're coyotes. And, and uh, we just, uh, well, we'd never seen any coyotes in our area. And we don't, we, you know, it's just hard to believe. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a, a freshman, uh, freshman legislator from Shelbyville, Jeff, Jeffrey, gosh, I can't think of his name right now. He hadn't gotten up all year. But he asked permission to speak, and the Speaker granted him that permission. And he said, well, I'm in favor of Representative Jones's bill, and I'll tell you why. My family and I have been raising sheep in Indiana for three or four generations. We have a flock of like 1,800 sheep. He said, last year we lost 42 lambs to coyotes. Wow! And he said, they, they run rampant. And he said, currently, under our circumstance, we could shoot them in the act of killing one of our lambs, Mm -hmm. but we're not always there. And consequently, we're losing them. And he said, if there's any bill that we're gonna pass this year that would impact a lot of farmers, it's this bill. And Hmm. so the bill passed. Wow! And then it was only uh, like two years later, the Department of Natural Resources was called because there were a pair of coyotes that were nesting in the hedges around the statehouse. Wow. So they are more prevalent than what we thought. And I i, uh, I kind of chuckled to myself that, uh, that that's a bill that didn't make front pages. But uh, as I had talked to my friends and family back in Indiana, mm-hmm. and uh, the subject of coyotes come up, and they say, we see them all the time. You know they killed our cat. They killed our neighbor's little dog. And mean, yeah. And we obviously here in Arizona, we have the same problem. Yeah. I mean, they're right, they're right here in Scottsdale and them trotting down the street.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Wow, I. Yeah, it's something I don't think a lot of people th- probably think about much. So yeah. I've, but yeah, I mean, I, I know in yeah in like Kansas, there's a lot of coyotes around.
1: Um, oh yeah. But uh, there's you, you can then you can <laughs> go on YouTube. Yeah. And. They they had some videos, some guys in Kansas mm-hmm. that hunt coyotes with uh, dogs. Oh wow! And okay. And they're not hounds; they're like yeah. Russian wolfhounds, greyhounds. And once they pick those fields, those huge fields they have out there,
2: in uh, in Kansas,
1: yeah. they just drive their trucks out and they have these trip doors. And they spot one, they open the doors, and those dogs fly and they run down and come.
0: Wow! Yeah. Yeah, it's that's interesting. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I guess yeah, coyotes have have uh, are pretty much everywhere at this point. It seems like so, at least in the Midwest and Arizona, I guess. <laughs> yeah,
1: they're well. The, the, according to Department of Natural Resources, they were the only species that was actually pushed out of the east mm. uh, as as our country grew and developed. They pushed them west. Yeah, but they they've been the only species to
0: come back east. Interesting. Okay. Wow. Um, Let's see. What advice would you give to future legislators or even current legislators?
1: Well, to have patience, uh, be willing to work with others, uh, use the criteria. I I suggest them use the criteria of who wants the bill, why do they want it, and what's the unintended consequences of it. Okay. Uh, each bill that you examine, or that you want to uh,
0: support, uh, you you need to ask yourself those questions. Yeah. Okay. What, in your opinion, is the most important work of the Indiana General Assembly?
1: Well, obviously the budget. Uh, obviously, setting the educational standards that our children will be educated under. And there was a lot of politics that started playing that picture. But, uh, and I think providing, seeing that we have the best infrastructure for our constituents that they can have. Good roads, safe streets, uh, safe environment, uh, adequate energy, uh, and uh, affordable energy. Uh, I think uh, any community, any society... Uh, can be judged by the infrastructure that they have.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: uh, sometimes we overlook that. Yeah, okay. I mean, Ben, I'm sure you, you've heard people bitch, well, the roads need to be,
1: the roads are terrible, they need to be, and Indiana, because it's in the Midwest, and I'm sure Kansas had the same thing, you had to freeze and thaw them. Yeah. Yeah. So, and uh, it's tough on asphalt, it's tough on concrete. Right. But uh, what I've found over the years, people don't mind paying reasonable taxes if they can see their taxes working for them.
0: Right. Yeah. True. Yeah, that usually makes a difference. uh, If people feel like their taxes are not going towards anything, then they get upset and... uh, Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I understand. What does the public not know about the Indiana General Assembly and how it operates?
1: I, I think that the, the public uh, there's a great void uh, amongst uh, the the electorate uh, about who the general Assembly is uh, the responsibilities they have uh, the, the time uh, consuming responsibilities to get there just campaigning is laborious and, and uh, I think that uh, a classic example was that uh, there was a bill that was being submitted that uh, was, I think, allowed the telephone companies to uh, measure or to bill on the amount of phones, uh, amount of phone calls you make. And uh, I, it—that's it, I, not exactly right, but the point mm-hmm. being is that. Uh, there were some teachers at, at down in uh, elementary school, or middle school, I think it was, in Perry Township, and they brought the busloads of kids up, and they had to sign, don't vote for a house bill, such and such. Yeah. And then they, they wrote us all letters, uh, because we represented Perry Township. Every one of them was addressed to Congressman David Jones. Now, I can understand middle school children, not... Being aware of that, we're not congressmen; mm-hmm. we're representatives. But every one of them was addressed, and apparently, no teacher caught on to it. That uh, you know, they, they think we're congressmen, and we're not. Least, yep. uh, so it, it told me that. Gosh, he's a big boy, but I could go to my local high school, and the athletic director who was there when I was in high school. When I go to a football game, he'd always say, "Congressman Jones, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine, thank <laughs> you." Know <what> I mean?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've probably I've heard this this uh, type of this, this situation happen so many times now. It's just uh, it's amazing, yeah, how how confused people are when it comes to yeah determining the difference between Congress and the General Assembly. Wow. Yeah. yeah.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: I think almost every interview at this point that's brought up. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I I had a local uh, legislator here, and he, he was a friend of mine. He had a radio show. And, he wanted to do. He wanted me to come on as a guest speaker, and we were, were speaking. And I was. He said, "Well, compare Indiana and, and Arizona and your experience so I was giving." Him, but, and I said, "Well, at the general assembly in Indiana, operates such and such." And I used the term "general assembly." Yeah. He said, "Well, you know, you know, David, we don't have a general assembly here. We have a legislature. Well, it's the same damn thing. <laughs> it's the same damn thing." And, and I told him after we got off the air, I said. Well, no, clancy i didn't want to embarrass you on the air but a general assembly and a legislature is the same thing
2: yeah it, in some states
1: it's just called differently in indiana the legislature is called the legislature it's also called the general assembly
0: so, right yeah oh, yeah
1: i didn't know that well,
0: <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> that's funny okay wow uh, how prominent was uh was like the role of money uh, when it came to running campaigns and stuff, like did did everyone feel like incredibly dependent on raising as much money as possible, and um, how influential was it when it came to how people would sort of uh, vote well, on I, things?
1: I, that's an excellent question. Uh, money plays a prominent role. Uh, a successful campaign uh, it uh, needs requires a skilled candidate, and what I mean by that is someone that can get up and articulate uh, their message. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you have to have a strong message. And thirdly, and maybe equally, I think equally if not more, is revenue. To to get your message out, you have to have the money. Now, interesting side note, that in Marion County, the state representatives and the senators were not uh, Uh, it was frowned upon for them to have individual fundraisers Okay. the party did the campaigning the party allocated the money and they wanted if you did any fundraisers they wanted to go into the county coffer Mm. now we as we uh, developed now we would get donations from Indiana State Teachers Association the Petroleum Council yeah. from various groups who supported you and thought you were a good legislator, that they would, uh, but they had to adhere to their uh, limitations of contributions. And we would run our campaigns off that, but they really didn't want us to go out and milking fellow Republicans by having our own fundraisers because they thought it took away from. Uh, from the party's efforts. okay, And and in a sense, I I can appreciate that. uh, Because once, if you're in Marion County, once you got slated, you were probably going to get, you had a 99% chance of getting elected anyway.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: So they they would allocate enough money to get your name out there, and that was about the extent of it.
0: Did you ever uh, witness, like, legislators being kind of... um, Almost oh, well, basically, being influenced by the the different places that they were receiving campaign finance from when it came to legislation at all, or or, or did people not?
1: Yes. Okay. Yes, I, I did, but I wasn't the legislature man. Okay. Uh, I was uh, uh, VP of corporate affairs for towsley Bixler Construction Company, which at that time was third largest. Uh, by volume, third largest construction company in the state, Okay, and uh, they belong to an organization called AGC, Associated General Contractors, which is a national uh, organization uh, that uh, uh, pr- promotes the well-being of uh, uh, general contractors. And I got a call uh, to come down to the president's office one day, and he said, uh, Jones, he said, you got to go with me down to AGC's office. And uh, we went down, and all of the uh, presidents of the major construction companies who belong to AGC were there. And the architects had submitted a bill that uh, dealt with construction management, which was a new service that was coming out. That uh, companies or but our architects wanted to to uh, corral the market and just say that they would have exclusive rights for it. Mm. Well, uh, our company was one that was in the on the threshold of going to construction management services, and as it turned out, I don't want to get into all the details. Ben, yeah, but the speaker, the speaker of the house, governor Burles, and his chief of staff and the president pro-tem of the Senate all went to prison because the architects had uh, paid them money. Yeah, to, to, I don't know if you remember that, if you heard that story. Uh,
0: I, vaguely, I'm vaguely familiar with it, yeah.
1: And uh, so they, they, uh, my boss and the head of AGC, then, uh, a very uh, talented young man by the name of Tony Ard, they took me over and registered me as a lobbyist. And for the entire session, I was lobbying on behalf of AGC. And then when all this came down, I got a, uh, a visit one day at the office by two guys from the FBI.
2: Oh my gosh.
1: And uh, they wanted to know if I knew or heard anything. And, and they, you know. Uh, uh, we're doing this investigation, and uh, you're registered as a lobbyist for on that bill uh, against the bill. And what did you hear? So I told him what I had heard, and uh, we had found out through Tony that he had heard that, that the Speaker of the House and the President pro tem had received uh, sizable contributions to, to get that. And I think it was, I, I don't think it was to their campaign. I think they just got outright out cash. Okay, wow. Yeah.
2: And, pay
1: over. and, and I, I'm not positive. That's been yeah. 30,
2: 30
1: years ago, maybe.
0: But yeah. anyway, they did end up going to prison. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so, geez. So I guess along with like sort of the power dynamics uh, in and state government, is also just the role of money and, and how that can influence people as well. Wow.
1: Um, well, money, there's no question about it. Yeah. Uh, money can have a powerful influence. And you, you want to eliminate uh, uh, the, the, the uh, I don't want to say the intrigue, mm-hmm. uh, eliminate
2: temptation. Yeah. Uh, you want to eliminate temptation and and so there needs to
1: be oversight and accountability and you want to keep an honest person honest.
0: Yeah, interesting. Okay. Um, Let's see, last few questions here. Uh, How would you say the state of Indiana has changed over the course of your lifetime?
1: Well, uh, you know, the last 25 years I've lived out here, so uh, uh, they... uh, I think overall Hoosiers are looked at as pragmatic people, but I think that there's been a great deal of influence, and it started when I was in the session, uh, by uh, individuals who were interested in their own political political potential, with later uh, ran for governor, but uh, he would. Uh, there was a lot of misinformation that was spread, that dealt with the abortion issues, that dealt with uh, uh, the gay uh, community. And I think that a lot of that information stirred up in the hearts of a lot of Hoosiers, polarization. And to my friends that live back there, and I'm still in contact with many of them, they're, they're very entrenched, almost to uh, a degree of fanaticism on those issues that, uh, I think has created uh, a real gulf and in, in polarization amongst losers. Yeah and that's true all across the country but uh, no, no question about it
0: Wow yeah okay um, what do you want the people of Indiana to know about their role and influence in the General Assembly.
1: I think that the people in Indiana should know that they're in most cases, if not all cases, that the doors of communications are open to their representatives. They do want to hear it from them. Uh, they do want to hear uh, what their concerns are and uh, you know, not just bitching about the next door neighbor's dog, Right, <laughs> But letting us know uh, what we can do to make their quality of their life better. And, and uh, they have access, they have priority access over lobbyists. Yeah. We want to hear from them. But uh, I think in many cases there's more interest in just pitching to the next door neighbor about politicians as opposed to trying to inform us and educate us
0: on what they think would make their community better sure yeah yeah it's yeah if you don't tell anyone about your problem then i guess it's yeah it's a little bit harder to complain about it if you're not actually trying to you know make a difference <laughs> so well
1: it's not difficult to complain that's yeah. easy uh, right complaining is easy it, it's communicating yeah you know don't be fearful of Picking up the phone or saying, "I'd like to have a meeting with you." This is something I think that we need to sure. do. Yeah, and, and uh, listen to them. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, um, is there anything uh, that I didn't ask about that you wanted to mention, or? No, I, I don't.
1: Uh, I don't think so. I think we covered a, a broad spectrum. Uh, I hope that whatever I shared with you has some meaning.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely think you'll. It would be really interesting for people to listen to. I think you uh, had a lot of of uh, stuff to say that I think is pretty topical for for lots of different people. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for taking part in this project. I appreciate it. All
1: right, man, I enjoyed
0: it. All right, talk to you soon. All right. uh-huh,
3: bye bye.